Welcome to the Passion Harvest podcast audio series. Thank you so much for listening today. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. If you would like to watch this episode, please head over to our Passion Harvest channel on YouTube. We love taking you on a journey to discover your passions. Thanks for listening. Hello, passionate listeners. Welcome to Passion Harvest. I am Louisa. I'm normally your host, but today I'm being interviewed by Edward. And if you don't know who Edward is, have a look at Future Memories 1, which gives a background, and I'll put a link below in the show notes. So I'll hand it over to Edward. Thanks, Louisa. So this is exciting for a number of reasons. And you and I have talked on so many themes, and in addition to what you you know, share with the rest of the world on Passion Harvest. So it gave us a good opportunity to not just bang back and forth on ideas that you and I talk about, but to really open up some of the questions I've had for you for the last 12 months and really share them with some of your viewers. And one of the first things I wanted to talk with you about for everyone else to hear, because there's so many themes about spirituality, about time, about your conception of fear and passion. But I wanted to start with one of the things that's even on the front page of your of your website, really. And you talk about you know, this idea of some, some moment we wake up and we realize we're, we're not living the life that we thought we could live or that we wanted to live. And it's a really important statement you make on the landing page of your website. But I'm actually curious, we've never even talked about this ourselves, really, although I think I have some ideas. Can you really pinpoint the moment when you realize you weren't living the life you wanted to live? Do you remember a specific moment in time where that hit you? And then what immediate changes you had to make? First of all, you have done your research and I haven't looked at the landing page of the website for a while. Um, (laughs) Look, there are a few pivotal points, but I think it was a slow progression. I think so often, you know, we we lose ourselves after a time, whether we have children or we're in relationships or in careers and um, lots of events happen that we're not happy with and you know, we slowly get lost and we lose the person. I lost Louisa. I lost the person that I was um, in order to cope with certain situations, in order to conform to society. And then I guess one day I woke up and I realised I was so, I was surrounded by people, but I was utterly unhappy and I I was so alone. And um, I think the pivotal point for me was, that I realized no one else else was going to change my life except me. And mm-hmm. there was no one else to blame. It was easy, easy to blame people, but um, I had to make the changes myself for the life that I wanted. Mm-hmm. I, I think so often we don't take responsibility for our life because it's easier for whatever the circumstances might be. And it doesn't mean the circumstances aren't bad or terrible or good. Mm-hmm. But when we take responsibility I think that's when change starts to occur and we stop blaming outside. We stop blaming other people or external circumstances or events and realise that we, we need to change and then that's the change that we see in the world. I do believe that we create our reality, our thoughts create things and um, that was a big turning point for me. It was still a slow progression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that was a big turning point. 
It's interesting, you know, taking responsibility and creating the life you want. It's kind of people always say, well, what's the meaning of life? And I've often thought you you have to make the meaning of your life. You have to discover that and create it for yourself rather than wait for it to hit you on the shoulder, so to speak. Um, this kind of segues into the the other key element of passion harvest and the way you conduct your life is this notion, obviously passion is a big part of the theme of passion for life, passion for different questions and curiosities. And you, you address so many themes with your interviews, but another key theme in, in passion harvest and passion and a passionate life is this element or concept of fear because passion and fear kind of counteract, you know, to have a passion life, you have to kind of face and overcome and, and recognize the limitations of fear. I wonder if you could dig a little bit deeper in how you, how you, you, you have a lot of focus on passion and a lot of discussions and interviews and questions about fear. How do you relate those two forces, passion and fear? And how do you, how do you think it's important for other people to understand, not just recognizing your fears in, in terms of overcoming, that's easy to say, but in terms of really addressing, everyone's fears can be different. We have universal fears, obviously. There's a lot of fear right now. There's a time of a lot of fear in the world, a lot of fear promulgated. Everywhere. We've talked about this offline all the time, but when did you realize that fear was really an inhibitor of passion? So in a sense, if you wanted to find a passion life, you had to address these fears. Was that something that was kind of the wake up or was that a slow progression for you? Um, well, I, I see passion as a love as well. So fear and love are complete opposites. Mm -hmm. Again, one day I kind of woke up and it must have been a slow progression, but I realized how much fear I had, you know, fear of fear of changing my life. I wanted to change my life, but I was afraid. <clears throat> I just remained stagnant and didn't know. I, I know that I needed to take responsibility, but I didn't know how to change. I'll give you some an example. I've spoken about it before. It was a a turning point, I was in a career, you know, from what looked outside, I was very, I seemed happy. I had a good corporate role. I was married. I had children, but I was so desperately unhappy. And this is when I decided to change. I, I maybe decided to get a bit spiritual or dive deeper in. And I think I always had been, but I lost myself for many years. And, um, I, I took up meditating and I'd leave my corporate office, my beautiful corporate office, and I'd go across to the park every day at lunch. And it was the best time of my day. And I'd close my eyes and meditate. And I'd put my face to the sun just in case any of my work colleagues saw me and thought I was really weird meditating in the park. And um, I remember I was, it got to the stage where it was so hard to go back to work. And I found this gum leaf just a silly gum leaf on the grass and I picked it up and I took it to my office and hid it behind the the, the monitor of the computer again so no one would see it thinking well, why would you just have a gum leaf and I realized that was the happiest time of my often sometimes of my whole day and of my working day and the universe has a funny way of pushing and pulling you kicking and screaming if you don't listen a lot of the time and I was asked to leave that role. And at the time it seemed terrible. And as I was packing up my office, I remember looking behind that monitor and I found the shriveled up dead gum leaf. And I realized nothing else in that office really, really mattered that much. Mm -hmm. And what was so important, it was to be happy. And I was actually so grateful that, that 
the role was gone and that was gone and that was never going to be a part of my life again. And I think I did throw the gum leaf out, but I'll never forget it because I thought if I stayed in that role, I would have ended up like that shriveled gum leaf. And when I left the office, I think all I took was a, a pad and a USB. And I promised myself then that I'd never live a half-lived life again. I would always follow what felt good and follow my passion and do what do what felt exciting. There was no point going to work every day, dragging myself out of bed. It just was not worth it. I didn't want to look back one day when I had a year to live and think what what a life I wasted. Mm. And I also wanted to be of service to others and I wanted to grow as fast as I could spiritually because it fascinated me. And so I decided the best way to do that was to interview thought leaders across the world that could not only educate me but could educate the audience as well. Mm-hmm. So that was a big one of overcoming fear that it just sort of happened. And, um, again, I was very fearful of leaving my situation and, I thought, I mean, I think I think a lot and I thought deeply for a couple of years about it. And one day I thought about it and it was gone. The fear was just gone. I always say fear is false evidence appearing real and fear holds you back from your dreams and blocks your passions and blocks love and stops you from evolving and growing and keeps you small and stops you from shining. And unless it's not a physic, unless it's not going to physically hurt you as a fear so a, a rational fear I always say embrace your fears I do that and I make a fool of myself sometimes <laughs> as you know mm-hmm. um, but I still do it anyway and then the fear's gone and you look back and you think what was I afraid of I was terrified of starting Passion Harvest I thought my family and friends were going to think I was so weird and so strange interviewing all these people mm-hmm. and now I look back and I laugh at I laugh at the thought of it because there was nothing to be afraid of. You mentioned, I mean, when you talk, you, this fear kind of was a, an inhibitor, but it was also, it took you to a place where you almost, it's like being in a room without oxygen. You, you just can't breathe. You have to leave. It became inevitable. And sometimes in, in some regards, our fears are signals, maybe that it's time to make a change or a reflector to make a, to make a deep kind of self-analysis, a deep honest and uh, visceral reassessment of our lives. doesn't mean we have to change marriages, change careers, change countries, and necessarily make some radical change. It depends on our level of unhappiness or our level of unsatisfaction. But in your particular case, it really got to the point where you almost had no choice but to take that leap, to face those fears, to those fears what other people would think, which is often one of the most poisonous inhibitors for people's lives, the, the idea of upsetting the balance of how they're perceived by others. And you were able to just take the risk of maybe risking being embarrassed or risk being misunderstood to follow something else, something that clearly would be better than what clearly wasn't working. And you mentioned in in that was a, maybe it took you some time to realize there was a spiritual kind of curiosity you had and a spiritual dimension that you took. But that's another question I have about you is the spirituality, the theme of energies and the spiritual powers. It's a very non-denominational attitude and, and, and curiosity that you have. And I've looked and we've talked and I've seen many of your interviews uh, since I've gotten to know you. And you have this tremendous curiosity that's always kind of fundamentally the spinal column through all of it is, is, is spiritual questions and larger questions and energy questions and meaningful questions. And you looked at things from ayahuasca to Timothy Leary-like experiments with, uh, you know, 
narcotic, you know, strong narcotic drug or, you know, mood enhancing drugs. You've interviewed people that have done that in the most measured way because it finds a new center of consciousness. You've looked at the implications of near-death experiences from many different angles. And you've looked at reincarnation and past lives from many different angles. You have a curiosity for anyone who's passionate about larger questions in life. And a lot of that consistency with these really important interviews is some type of, um, I don't want to say paranormal or abnormal, but non-normal understanding of the world, the invisible world where the essential things can be found. And that's often a very spiritual world. And many of the people you've interviewed, including yourself, you've had experiences, past life experiences, and you've had a, a certain empathy to other energies that most of us don't touch. And, and many of the people that you interview have had these extraordinary experiences that is a great quote by William James that 15 seconds of a of a, of, a, of a spiritual religious experience can do more for you than 50 years of studying theology. And, and many of us or many people who haven't had those profound experiences, those visceral experiences, like a near-death experience or even an encounter with a ghost or having a past life memory or a future memory the way we met. For people that haven't had those type of extraordinary moments, how, how do you think it is for them, is it a question of faith in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the narratives or the testimonies that you and others give? Is it a question of intuition? Is it a question of, of trust? I think it's, it's often very um, not easy for people that have had these experiences, but kind of second nature to, to trust them because we've had them or you've had them. But for people that are thirsty for those kind of experiences who haven't necessarily had them, do you think they actually have had them or they are being kind of spiritually gifted by just having the opportunity to listen and to witness, or do you think it takes more? Some people are going to always doubt. And even you, sometimes we talk about doubts with these experiences we have, but is it an extra challenge for someone who hasn't had a near death experience or a past life memory or has an easier road to faith than some others? Some people are more stubborn minded with these things. How do you think people can, can cross that without feeling like they're tricking themselves or that they're, they're not satisfied with their daily lives and they haven't had those experiences. You think that's more of a challenge for them? And, and, and how do you think, you know, people like you or the people you interview can help them? That's so many questions all in one. Yeah. yeah sorry. <laughs> First of all, I just want to go back. You said passion is a risk. It never felt like a risk when you're passionate about something. There's no risk involved. You actually don't have a choice not mm -hmm. to do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I did feel fearful worrying what people thought, but, my passion was much greater that, than anything else. And it never, it never felt like really a risk. It felt inevitable and that, that um, I was excited to do it. Mm -hmm. that, that's what passion is, that childlike excitement. It never was a big risk. Mm -hmm. So even the risk of what your friends or family would think you said, it ultimately kind of was like a scrap of paper you could toss aside once you got deeper into following your own kind of direction. Well, yes, but I'm also very passionate about overcoming my fears, as you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes, but it, yes, it was a tiny bit of fear. It probably, it probably was, but mm -hmm. after a week, it, I didn't really worry anymore. No one said anything, and mm -hmm. I kind of just carried on. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I think it was some quote by Mark Twain that 90, 99% of the things we're afraid of never happened anyway. We give so much weight to these ideas of what we're afraid of. And then once we, once we quote, leave the dock and really join the voyage, it's not nearly as scary as we thought preparing for the voyage. You just, that's, you just... Well, that's the other thing since we do create our reality. And I always say mm -hmm. thoughts do create things. Our 
our our external landscape is an expression of our consciousness. So mm -hmm. to worry and be fearful about things, we can create that in our reality as well. But by overcoming that, when we surrender and are vulnerable, it's almost like I feel like each time I do it, it's like an initiation and I'm gifted more love and abundance in my life when I do overcome those negative blocks and negative fears that only can only do anything but hold me back from the life I want to create for myself. I'm not saying I'm, gosh, I'm so far from perfect and I do stuff up a lot, but I try really hard to embrace life as much as I can. Mm -hmm. Okay, so back to your question. Let's, let's get back it? to the question you're, you're avoiding. <laughs> no, 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 don't we? <laughs> You're going back to passion and risk, but I think no. Clearly, you're getting the validation, the reward for the quote-unquote risk you've taken in in following your instincts and your passions and overcoming your fears. You're seeing validation. You're seeing the reward consistently. I think the universe tends to bless you or anyone else who takes that leap, so to speak, or leaves the dock and doesn't just stay at the boat, leaves the dock and tries it. It's not always immediate, but you tend to feel this immense amount of relief and and you see confirmations of the choices, but. This is going to go back when you when you follow your particular passion. A lot of it was driven by a faith in your own sense of your own consciousness and the greater consciousness and this idea of energies and following positive energies and, and following spiritual instincts that you had. And I was saying that a lot of people have had to get a massive amount of benefit from the testimony and the witnessing of people that you've interviewed and their stories and their narratives about the experiences that they've had from Eben Alexander to others that have given both a scientific and kind of clinical as well as a very personal spiritual view of their experiences. But whether it's a past life experience or a near-death experience or even like I said earlier, there were some mind altering experiences under clinical conditions where people mm -hmm. are really trying to expand their consciousness. For those who don't have a, a university laboratory or a near death experience or a past life memory that's clear to them or kind of that, that connection that you and others have had, how do you, how do we, how do you in particular feel these very important narratives are to help them? Because I think it opens the door to the possibility of a greater spiritual world. But for those who haven't had that experience, sometimes it's really truly a matter of faith and trust in, in, the, in the narratives of the people you've interviewed who've been extraordinary. You've had some extraordinary, as you know, guests who really opened doors of, of thought that were otherwise closed to people. But even when those doors are open, for those who haven't had some of the experiences that you and your guests have had, what would you say to them in terms of their ongoing questioning or their ongoing curiosity? Is it a struggle with faith or intuition or everything? It's, it's a tough question. I admit it's not an easy answer. Well, I would say that they'd be more passionate about it, trying to achieve it. Someone who's hungry and thirsty to achieve something um, mm -hmm. is definitely more passionate. I, I never try and convince anyone. I, I never ask anyone to believe my experiences because I believe myself. It's not about that, but I'm, blown away time and time again by the guests on the show that trust themselves and are not necessarily worried of what people think, but they're sharing their truth and their story. And I think it's so brave. And I think that's what's really inspiring um, to, to, to know that all these experiences are very real to all the individuals that have come on the show and are there's so much more than you know what we perceive with our eyes there's so much more in the multi-dimensional realm mm. um and yes i guess it would be about trusting yourself because everyone can have these experiences everyone has had these experiences it's just a matter of remembering these experiences and 
everything. We don't necessarily even need to look outside for, again, for knowledge. All the knowledge is held within us. We can receive all the knowledge and it's, it's there in consciousness. I, that, I know that's, you're like, okay, great. How do I get it? But trust yourself, trust yourself. Look how brave you might think they're very, I'm not confident sometimes. And I come on the show and talk about past life experiences or future memories. And I open myself up to criticism, but it's my truth and it's so real. And I, I mean, yes, I have had experiences, you know, with loved ones that have passed, but it's about trusting yourself and believing yourself. And I still ask for validation lots of times, but I'm getting better at not. And just knowing that this is, real we're so taught that it's not real it's like we're so taught that you can't uh remember the future and i believe you can remember the future like we can remember the past it's about trusting and believing in yourself mm-hmm. and and yes. being inspired by others oh, absolutely i mean there is for those who haven't had those specific experience there is a certain trust in, in trusting those who have because there's i've always joked that if you're going to go to italy you want to have an italian tour guide who can really tell you about rome or florence because they've been there they speak the language and for you and many of the guests you've had who've had these experiences, they're they're clearly beyond just coincidental and they're clearly beyond just fabricated. Obviously, they're very personal and very important experiences. And for those of us who haven't had them, there is an element of just trusting in their story because their story is very universal. And 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 I want to go back to this other theme you talked about, and just as you were answering that kind of last question and all these different themes that you're curious about. One of the other themes besides obviously passion and fear is your, your, your concept or your curiosity about time. And uh, you have a very non-traditional notion of time. You're very curious about time. It's not a yes. chronological phenomena for you. I think it can be uh, interesting to unpack a little bit more about your understanding, which again, it's a very tough question because there's no easy answer for a non-traditional notion of time. It's not just a straight A to Z kind of chronology, one, two, three for you. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about your notion of time. And, and then, and then in, in, in discussing that notion of time, you, you know, you like the example of a, of, a, of a future memory. I mean, it's a great word. And, and in a way, that's exactly how we met through a future memory. I think for people who haven't had the hours that we've had to talk about that. If you could talk a bit more about just the notion of future memory and time, the implications of that. And then once you unpack that notion of time, what, what, are the, what does that mean for the broader questions about how people live their lives? Because if you understand time differently, what are the implications of that for our current moment here in this time, in this particular space and time? How is, in other words, how has your conception of time changed the way you look at your own life right now? Should I go to time, the time question first? Yeah, they're related. They're related. So. <laughs> so, well, I'm not a scientist, but this is my this is my belief from what I've experienced. I don't think time is linear. It doesn't, as you said, from point A to point Z. It's it's mm-hmm. um, time. If we can look down at our life, is there's moments in time. Um, it's yes, it's not a linear construct. So from our birth to our death, everything happens at some point in space time and it's all happening now. Mm-hmm. So as I can remember my past, I can also not remember everything, but I also can remember events about my future. And it's not a, a past life memory. It's very different because I'm Louisa in this future, in the future memories. Mm-hmm. Um, not only that, but uh 
<laughs> we can talk about parallel lives as well, because every choice that Louisa can make, I'm giving myself as the example, there's infinite possibilities and probabilities of timelines. So mm -hmm. I'm existing on multiple timelines, but I identify in this consciousness now as Louisa. I know that's an even harder concept to grasp, but it is a quantum um, model of reality at that time is eternal. The only thing that can move through time is gravity if we imagine ourselves in the human form, in the three-dimensional reality. And I've realised that two things, actually. We, we, we remember our memories from the past or memories from the future through vibration because everything is vibration, for example, colors black or red there's no it's not it's not anything the way we perceive with our eyes and i'm not going to get scientific but everything is vibration everything is sound and everything is feeling so remembering a person or remembering a geographical location for example if you can remember that you can remember it in the future or when we think of a, a, a past anything we did in the past if we went somewhere we imagine the feeling of it that's the vibration of it mm -hmm. But I've also realized that the way you can communicate through time, and then there's only one way, and that's through love. That's the only way that can communicate through time. Hmm. Interesting. So there's massive implications about that your concept or this concept of time in a much more four or five quantum dimensional understanding, not the, the linear understanding that actually has to do with energy. And of that energy, the most important energy then would be some energy revolving on the notion of love then. So love and time are energies that are interlinked in this, in this discussion of time. And without getting into metaphysics and quantum mechanics, it's, it's, it's really boils down to something as, as old as love itself right? This notion of, well, energy. I think the fundamental truth of everything from all, all my guests, you know, they, that have had near death, near death experiences or out of body experiences, or even if you have a deja vu, mm -hmm. or even if you were talking about people that haven't had any experiences, you can have a visual memory, or you can even make up a story in your head. And it can mm -hmm. be a story of a, a month on a holiday, for example, but mm -hmm. it might only happen in one minute in this time that you perceive but you're mm -hmm. thinking about it for a month. So even, mm -hmm. yes, near-death experiences, there is no time. Time doesn't matter. So even when I had my future memories, it might have been for a two-week period that only happened in two minutes in my time as a Louisa, time disappears. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you, even if you remember something, I'm just trying to give an example, but if you remember, I don't know, a childhood memory or what, what you did last week, you, you remember the feeling of it, the vibration of it. You can't remember something unless you know the, what it mm. feels like, the vibration of it. Mm. You can't remember getting on an aeroplane if you don't know what it feels like, if you haven't been there, if you haven't been to that geographical location or that, even better still, that, that place in space and time. Yeah. So each point is, a, each memory is a point in space and time. Well, you, I think many people would envy that sense of, energy that you're able to tap into and you say that we all can and and maybe that's true i think for many of us that's a that's a question of faith and trust too it's not denying the possibility or the reality of it that working on tapping into that energy can be much harder for some of us there's a gift i think some people have or a sensitivity that some people have just like an artistic gift or a creative gift and you you clearly have it and and others have it but it still has massive implications that are very consistent with universal themes though of love and clearly this sense of timelessness and a near-death experience or a 
entirely different notion than the three-dimensional notion that we have is very consistent through many of the the folks that you've interviewed in different contexts. And that kind of brings me to my my last question to you, which is really a free-for-all in a sense, Louisa, because you know, I, I've, I've complimented and commented you and, and confirmed this to you many times, it, it, the, the ripple effect of, of your interviews and your curiosity and the curiosity and the passion of the people you interview is, is really so critical at any time. But I think in particular, in, in the last two years in particular, in this current time that we're in, which is, there is a lot of counter energies of, of fear right now and anxiety and, and, you know, not just in Australia, the US or Europe, but just everywhere. And, you know, that goes without saying it's, it's this, this kind of pervasive sense of anxiety and from the top down, and I'm not criticizing the reasons for it or, or, or people's different reactions to it, but there's a lot of fear in the world. And so the, the positive energy and the positive curiosity and, the, and really the positive messages of the people you've interviewed and the insights they've given, whether it's about music or the reincarnation or about love or about relationships or about death, or, or mourning or choices. Those are all really positive discussion points. And so the, the ripple effect, I think, couldn't be more important than it is right now in this moment in time. But one of the questions I really kind of have for you, which maybe is unfair to you, but again- I'm a really of, nice interviewer, by the way, so make it easy. Okay, yes, I'm gonna make this <laughs> as easy as I can. Without being unfair to the people you've interviewed, but I, I, it's not to say who's your favorite interviewer or mm -hmm. what was your most interesting conversation with all the interesting people you've interviewed because I've enjoyed them all for different reasons, but that's from my perspective. I, I don't want to say what was your most interesting interview, but I would like to ask you since you began Passion Harvest, what was maybe the newest or most unexpected insight that you've received from all of these interviews combined or one individual interview? It doesn't necessarily have to be a name and a date, but what was the one insight you think since you began this project that you didn't expect or didn't have when you started that you have now? Or maybe it's an insight that's just gotten more confident or more affirmed since you started this project. But I'm curious when you look back, without getting into the specifics of each individual interview, but when you look back at the amalgam of all of these wonderful interviews that you've had, and I'm not trying to rank them in any way, but when you look back on them, is there some key key insight that you've taken away thus far in the project that you really hadn't thought of or you hadn't really confirmed until you until now is there something that really stands out as a as a new truth or a confirmed truth for you um well i think each time i have an each time i do an interview i learn i definitely learn i i've received so much knowledge from each interview mm -hmm. I mean, I can't remember the names of all the people I interview, but <laughs> I'm just thinking off the top of my head, um, Dr. Yvonne Kaysen, I thought she was great. After I interviewed her, I started meditating. I didn't really have a regular meditation practice before mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, Jeff Olson, who had the nearest experience and talked about moments, I thought that was quite mm -hmm. profound that, you know, it's moments, it's the moments mm -hmm. in life that are so important, not just the free simple moments it's it's what yeah. it's all about yeah. um i thought professor bash was amazing who did all the lsd experiments mm -hmm. and he did talk about he not only went into the past the present but he also went into a future in time and he also spoke about he thought he started doing these clinical lsd experiments to heal himself and what he realized as he went on that when we actually heal ourselves. We're actually, we're healing the collective consciousness, and that yeah. that was that was 
like validated for me, but it was surprising. I mean, I guess it asked the question, are we, you know, are we one consciousness having a subjective experience? Right. I mean, many people say we are one and we think of ourselves as individual units. Mm -hmm. um, oh gosh, there's so many interviews. I've, no, I, hope, I, I, I didn't say, hope I don't miss any. No, and it, it's, it's not, of course, it's an unfair question to you because, and certainly you've mentioned three interviews in particular, but there's so many, as you said, and it's not a question of your top five favorite songs, or your top five favorite guests or three guests. It's what I think is remarkable without exception and everyone you've encountered and shared with everybody who watches, there are very consistent themes. So, you know, whether it's Dr. Olson, you know, and in, in, in moments and whether it's consciousness awareness or whether it's energy or whether it's time. Um, what else I've learned is that again, it goes back to um, thought creates matter or um, energy before form. So yes, I am so inspired by all my guests. Some it's not a personality contest. Some I, I'm inspired more and some I prefer more and some I have a, you know, a continuing personal relationship with. But what I realized when I have the interview, um, I often think if I'm not thinking, wow, this is a great interview, I, I think about when did I contact them and how what, what emotional state was I in at the time because mm -hmm. everything is energy and, and I, I do feel that each guest is a reflection of when I, decided to have them on the show at that point in time that's how it shows up mm -hmm. that's interesting in a lot of ways i think um like I, I was gonna say that there's so much consistency in the curiosity of your choice of guests and in the curiosity of their responses and in also the lessons that they've learned there's clearly a consistent theme throughout whether it's consciousness whether it's whether it's courage, whether it's love, whether it's patience, these are all very universal and noble and consistent themes that are the, that are the results of their experiences, whether it's a near-death experience or a past life experience or an LSD experiment or a consciousness experiment, they're all coming to the same similar conclusions through different rivers to the same ocean. And I think the metaphor or really the, the, the confirmation of your own experiment and just beginning Passion Harvest and taking that leap from that, that, that unhappy office corner with the shriveled leaf gum leaf to where you are today is by taking these various risks the the world kind of comes to your aid indirectly the energies are attracted like a magnet to the courage that took to overcome some of those fears and each guest just seems to find his or her way to you at just the right time not just for you but for the rest of us who are curious about these questions and it's it's just i think in a sense confirmation that where your thoughts and energies go life tends to follow things kind of come into alignment and even the way we met came into alignment at the time it was just it was just very natural so i think in a sense your whole project and your whole experience is confirmation that you you made the right the right choice not by necessarily picking passion harvest but you made the right choice by overcoming your fear and starting something and you started something that was commensurate with your personality and your curiosity and it's it's got a life of its own now in a lot of ways i think what you're doing is bigger than you and it's uh, it's fantastic so i will not thank you i sometimes i, I feel like i'm just the custodian of it maybe maybe i do but i do but it's so incredibly i've realized it's not about me um and Louisa TV is my way of giving back as well but i just feel that it's it's what as you said it's it's what's needed um, and it helps so many people and that that is such reward enough yeah but well it's it's a reward for more than just you and, and me and for everyone who watches and for the people to come on i just think it's uh 
it's needed now more than ever. And I'm sure we'll need more of it, but uh, I'm not just saying that because I'm your friend and I trust what you say and do so much, but I think I'm sure I'm speaking for a lot of people. And we just say, thanks for, for having the courage to start this and continue it because I think it's much needed water in a time of uh, a great thirst out there. So that's, well, hats off to you for that. And that's for sure. You know, Thanks. Well, I have to say thank thank you to the Passion Harvest community because it wouldn't be much if I was talking to myself the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's fair. That's fair. Without all of you. No. Well, I won't hit you with any more questions, Louisa. Those are the those are the that's ones it. I wanted to touch today. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for interviewing me for Passion Harvest. Well, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you. You did for a great first job. All right. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, bye. That is the end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening. And please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends and spread the passion. As always, every day, may you be more and more passionate. <laughs>